Hello, Joey Jojo. Hello, Katie. You're here. I am. As a very special guest. Thank you. You're like uh, Heather Lockwood. I was going to say in Melrose, Melrose Place, Place and yeah. in everything. So yes. Not that we're aging ourselves with that very <laughs> no, good reference. No, Our grandmothers told us about it. Yeah. Yeah. Every, every week you're a very special guest star. Thank you. Happy to be here. So, there's gossip. Oh, boy, is there gossip. And it's royal. It's certainly royal. So that's going to be relevant. Let's dive in and do it. Let's do it. The Queen's still on holidays. Well, she's had a very difficult year. We all have, but... Well, haven't we all? Mm. And look, the the longer she stays there, the better. Yes. And I think she's going to come back to basically being distanced somewhere else, so that's basically the same, really. Well, I think if we've learned anything in 2020, it's that that meeting that we swore could have been a phone call or a text message... Actually, could have been a phone call or a text message. Oh, I, yeah, I've, I've forever been saying about workplaces, why are we all here? Me smelling all of you is not crucial to this process. I know. It's like this sort of daily exercise and just reminding you of your unending servitude to um, corporate strangeness. So Yes, especially now when they have these offices where they've got hot seats. Oh, my gosh. Well, you, you don't even that? get an office. Like, you're basically homeless there anyway. Can you imagine? That'd be like a little disease vector, those little hotspot oh, offices. Oh, yeah, of course. I hadn't Yuck. even thought of that. Yuck. Ugh. Yikes. Um, so, yes, not much to report on that front, though she did have a socially distanced visit from the Cambridges. Oh, really? Which would be the way to do it. I mean, not they're lovely kids, but, you know, preschool age kids. Oh, my gosh. If you're approaching Ugh. 100 and having three children under 10 anywhere near you, can you imagine the diseases they'd have on them? I mean, yes. I'm, cooties. I yes. mean, I haven't had my cooties update. I don't no, know about you. I haven't but had my shot. <laughs> I notice we are sitting uh, socially distanced apart from each other We're too. just, only just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got a sort of a Justin Bieber between us. Well, he's very short. Don't give me that look. Well, yeah. Oh, I was thinking of a different measurement. Okay. <laughs> Prince Charles and the Duchess also managed to be busy without actually going anywhere. They basically did a lot of tweeting and twatting this week, Mm -hmm. taking us all on a virtual taste tour, where they basically retweeted the many places that they visited in the last year that involved food and produce, so we saw many different places that she We we could do that, but I really don't think anyone's going to be interested in um, Dan Dan Murphy's. we don't have quite such a salubrious tour schedule as they do. No, no. However, over at Kensington Palace, it was all go. Oh, really? Absolutely. The Duchess has been absolutely flat out kicking goals everywhere. In her six-inch stiletto heels that cost, what was it, 400 pounds? Oh, right. That's I forgot. You want her to wear a burlap sack. I want her to wear sensible shoes if she's going to pretend like she's lifting empty boxes and there's something in them. She is drawing attention to him. Listen, we're going to get to your mates and their photo <laughs> opportunity in a minute, so don't come in too hot. I sent you the photograph of her with her with uh, Catherine with her specially designated pap photograph or photographer there. 
Are you going to pretend you didn't get that? I'm sorry, I know speak it to English. <laughs> anyway, go on with your beloved Catherine. Our beloved Duchess mm-hmm. was busy with her hashtag HoldStill2020, which is a photographic competition, I guess one would say. Oh, okay. Where she invited people to take portraits and post them under the hashtag HoldStill2020, and she's going to judge them and someone's going to be a winner. Well, if anyone's qualified to judge about sitting still and doing nothing. Oh, my God. The Duchess herself, as we know, is a great photographer mm. and studied photography. And she announced the judging panel for the competition, which includes a famous the writer and poet, Len Sisse, MBE, the winner of Portrait of Britain from 2018, Mariam Wayhead, and other luminaries in the art world. How did you pronounce that uh, poet's nope, name again? I'm not be, <laughs> listen here, you. He's, gonna, have you, do you know anything about him? Because I do. I'm going to cut it out because I didn't <laughs> say it properly. So you might, might as well not bother. Incredible kid. Uh, son of a, an out-of-wedlock relationship um, between two migrants who came to the country. The mother thought, was in fact told she was giving him um, some time in foster care while she got herself sorted out. And the UK foster system refused to give him back. And when he reached a certain age, uh, his foster parents went, oh, we can't cope with him when he was like 10 years old and threw him back into the foster system from the only family that he'd ever known. And still, despite all of that and not being able to find his mother and being in a home until he was 18 years of age, he managed to get himself into university and has become this incredible poet and his work is just a sucker punch to the gut. So very proud to hear that he's involved in that. How are you saying this person's name? Well, if I hadn't had some of the Queen's bathtub gin. Oh, my God, you don't know how to say it either, and you're throwing me under the bus. God fucking damn you. This is outrageous. There were over 31,000 submissions, so Mm -hmm. they're going to be very busy judging portraits to find out who's the winner of that one. It'll be the least uh, lifelike one with a hair blowout and six-inch stilettos. Also, in addition to that, that wasn't the only thing that our inspiration, Duchess Kate, actually managed to do. She also has her own exhibition of photos where she photographs survivors of the Holocaust. So make jokes about that one. I think I'll just leave that one alone. Yeah, she took some photos of survivors of the Holocaust to commemorate. What, in England or? Yes. Okay. Because it's 75 years since the liberation of Auschwitz. Yes. I'm sure there's probably something wrong about how she did that as well, is there? No, no, not everything she does is wrong. Oh, my God, really? Yes. I'm going to isolate that and make it my ringtone. She produced three beautiful children. Gorgeous children, in fact. Fine, fine. I won't keep carrying on about her. Let's move on. Okay. Mentally Together is a mental health organisation in England, and they did a massive survey to find out who was the biggest international influencer on mental health. And the winner was... Oh, what do you know? It was Her Royal Highness Catherine, the Duchess of Cambridge. What? For, what are you wanting for? She does a huge amount of work for... Uh, Heads together and that other mental health thing she does. And you didn't and know any of that until you looked on the, the internet this week. What's no, that? absolutely. And, and Prince William came in second because they do do a lot of work for mental health. Except for that of their brother and sister-in-law. How are they responsible for that pair of Oh, oh so they're responsible for the nationhood but just not these two people. Right. Well, I was going to be magnanimous <laughs> this week. <laughs> so you're saying I'm going to be the douchebag this week. Well, I came off pretty bad last week in my own estimation, so it's about time. All right. Maybe this will even it out. <laughs> 
look, there has been such a stigma around mental health. That's very true. When the late Princess Diana bravely put her hand up and said, look, I'm not coping with the situation and I need help, the firm basically thought she was, I don't want to even say crazy, but that was the kind yeah, they, of judgment yeah. they heaped on her. Oh, mm. you're quote-unquote unstable and all this sort of stuff mm. that they would do. Um, and it is a really big turnaround for the guys, and it was the three of them until Harry don't even went to join the circus, I don't know, what do you say, until he defected? What's a positive word to say? Till he got out of the rat oh, hole. Till he found freedom. Till he found I'm freedom. I'm being a douche again. <laughs> <clears throat> Maybe we try one week where you're not a douchebag to the Sussexes. Well, like you're nice to the Cambridges. I have been very nice when they do things right, but I'm no, very stunned no. that they're coming across as the champions of mental health when they said not a word. During had the Heads Up campaign for years. Prince William championed it through the Football Association, which is one of the most toxic male cultures. Oh, oh make it uh, okay to ask what more toxic right. than Piss Morgan? Not a chance. I love it that you're coming off like a bitch this week. So we can even it out. <laughs> are you tone policing me? How dare you? Are you telling a woman how to anyway? Her Royal Highness Sophie Countess of Wessex. Yes, kicked a lot of goals. As you might have seen, she was on the cover of Good Housekeeping magazine where she talked about the importance of helping children to navigate social media, which is important. And assuming you follow the royal family on Twitter, you probably saw the cover and Kate is looking at it right now. And she did look lovely. Oh, she looks beautiful. It's a sort of, I don't think you'd call that lace. I don't know what you would call that. It's got little holes in it. Yes, I would sort of call it like a mesh or a uh, souffle. I'm assuming it's not a proper souffle because one cigarette um, ashen, she'd be up in a column of flames, but that's no, is beautiful. It, is it necessarily highly flammable? Oh, yes, yes. The naked uh, dress that uh, Sher wore, was it to the 1974, 77 Met Gala that uh, Bob Mackie designed? That was out of a souffle. And it was actually by that stage banned in America because it was so flammable. Someone standing next to you smoking a cigarette, you could go up in five seconds. Yikes. So I'm thinking that it's not that, and obviously it's it's lined, but it's beautiful and elegant. Lovely design. Well, are you going to put it up on Twitter? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll post right, that on the okay. Facebook page for everyone to have a look at in case they missed it. Listeners, if I wore this, it would look like someone had put rubber bands on an egg, but it does look good on Sophie. Yeah, she looks great. And she still found time to sit down with the guys from the Thames Valley Air Ambulance, which is one of her patronages. Oh. So good for her. Absolutely. And, of course, to the lovely Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Yes. And their very busy week. And howdy. And, boy, howdy did they. They visited the preschool learning centre at the Assistance League LA and helped children to replant plants. And what was the major one that they planted, Joey Jojo? They planted Forget-Me-Not Seeds in honour of Princess Diana. Because it was on... The anniversary of her death. That's correct. Uh, which is a bummer. I more celebrate her birthday than the anniversary of her death. You would well, think, but, maybe okay. they, maybe the opportunity just came up. And... Oh, everyone does. I'm not judging mm. them specifically on that, but it's just a weird thing where you'd rather I'd rather highlight her birthday than her mm. death day. But good for her. Megan's never gardened in her life because she was basically just sprinkling the seeds on the ground, thinking they'd grow into plants. But good for her. <laughs> like you know, I mean, apart from the right. Well, that's getting cut out. <laughs> I think that the huge backlash from this visit was unfair. What? There was no backlash. Yes, there was. A lot of people were angry because it's a learning centre for preschool children, which is in a COVID lockdown. 
So much so that the parents of the children are not allowed in the building. So people were not allowed to take their preschool children to their first day of school. And then they open up the front page of Google News and see a pair of strangers in there using their child for a photo opportunity. Hmm. And where was that outrage about Catherine and William going to that charity to for Catherine to go and load boxes off the uh, pallet out the back, which was also a children's charity, and walking around in high heels and her $4,500, what do they call it, flirty wiggle dress and her blowout hairdo, carrying boxes in, not wearing gloves? Is she not allowed to blow dry her hair now? I'm just saying, if there's going to be outrage... I'm uh, saying it's unfair. Okay. And I hope nobody else repeats it. <laughs> also, from the Duke and Duchess, they managed to sign a major Netflix deal with a production company to make a variety of different really? shows. I, I have been unaware of this. I know, I've, I've been in a cave, clearly, on Mars. <laughs> I feel like they probably didn't really get $100 million. No, no, I, I, I've, I am staggered. That's quite a large amount of money, but I, you know, it, it is nice to the people who are absolutely frothing at the mouth and wishing death upon the both of them that, um, that they have a little bit of good news. Although if they made a big upfront amount of money out of it, it is quite a sweetheart deal because there's varying different kinds of Netflix deals. Mm. Some of them are a production deal, where basically Netflix agrees that if you pay and produce a show and we approve of it, we'll put it on, Mm -hmm. which is very different from here's a huge chunk of money to go and produce a film. Good point. A la Martin Scorsese. Yes. So whether it's a production deal or whether they actually got a huge chunk of change up front, who knows. Mm -hmm. But their their statement regarding their plans for Netflix was, like them, very down-to-earth and specific. Oh, dear. They said, touching on issues of race and class, democracy and civil rights and much more. We believe each of these productions won't just entertain, but will educate, connect and inspire us all. We, oh, hang on. No, I'm so sorry. This was the statement from the Obamas when they got their Netflix deal. (laughs) Sorry, I was so confused. Let me go to theirs. I'm sure it's much more down to earth. Our lives, both independent of each other and as a couple, have allowed us to understand the power of the human spirit, of courage, resilience, and the need for connection. Through our work with diverse communities and their environments, to shining a light on people and causes around the world, our focus will be on creating content that informs, but also gives hope. What a pair of fucking wankers. I feel like the producer on Groundhog Day, when I say to Phil, a.k.a. Joe, that was very good. Could you read it again without the sarcasm? No, I'm, it's impossible. All right. Well, I'm going to revisit Groundhog Day on you until you behave yourself. No pastries for you, Larry. No pastries for you. As new parents, making inspirational family programming, because I know all about family togetherness, is now also Now listen here. <laughs> I'm doing it again. Stop being a douchebag. Our sponsors are not Summer Breeze yet. But Summer Breeze, if you want to come on board, I have a giant douche sitting beside me, so please feel free to sponsor this show. Listen here, Missy. I've gotten over that this terrible book that they wrote, and I'm not gunning for them for everything. They did not write the book, and if you want terrible books, get into Lady Colin Campbell's book. My God. In fact... Don't even bother, listeners, please, for the love of all the tolly, if you want any brain cells not to die, do not read that I book. I heard it's pretty bad. Yes. I do think that these statements um, 
by trying to fit everything into it, they do get pretentious and a little bit overcooked. That's well, all I'm saying. <laughs> well, I tell you what, Joey Jojo, when we get our $150 million deal to um, produce content for Netflix and um, produce unsavory, unwholesome, unfamily documentaries, we can write whatever we want. <laughs> You have any idea how pretentious I would act if we had a hundred million dollars? It would make I them know how humble. pretentious you're acting if we've only got a podcast. <laughs> so that's what everyone's been up to. It's quite quite look, everyone's basically What's on Anne been up to? Or is she still on holidays? I think she's on holidays now. Oh. I didn't hear much from her this week either. Basically everyone who's usually very busy is pretty quiet, but this is the, the height of summer holiday and someone needs a break, you know. But luckily I've got a main topic here that's going to settle us both down. I guess I'll start with a quote from a letter. She writes, I feel this is the most dangerous phase in my life. Name blanked out is planning an accident in my car, brake failure and serious head injury. Ah, do you know that letter? She wrote, of course, that was Princess Diana writing to her butler, Paul Burrell, about a thing that, as we all know far too well, ended up very much happening. Hard to know where to begin with the anniversary. I thought we can't encapsulate Princess Diana in one podcast, but I thought, look, as sort of dark as it is, there is so much fascination around her actual death. Absolutely. That we might as well tackle that topic. Mm. And again, this is something that I can ambush on you and you'll still have encyclopedic <laughs> knowledge to come back with. So, I don't Yes, well, I wasn't drunk on my front lawn when the news hit me. Uh, oh, uh, by the way, I was going to leave out the where we were when that happened. <laughs> I was expressing milk and you were, you and your flatmates were so upset you all got drunk. Yes, drunk. So, <laughs> to try and stick with the facts to begin with, the official investigations in both Britain and France found that Diana died in a manner consistent with media reports that she had had a fatal car crash in Paris on the 31st of August, 1997. Oh, no. That's crazy. It is crazy. And I suppose to young people today, they don't quite realise, even with the, and obviously Royal News is big in our world because mm. we're sickos, but to the general public, it's hard It's hard to express the level of fame that Princess Diana had oh, it at that was, time yeah, and, it and was, before it. It, was, it. it actually surpassed... I, I'm ashamed to bring this topic up, but it actually surpassed Kardashian-level fame. There wasn't a person in the world who didn't know who she was and there wasn't a magazine. Literally no week went past while she was alive that didn't have one magazine had a photograph on the front page. I mean, I feel you would go to the supermarket back when there were magazines because mm. I, I don't know if there's still magazines. Yes, they're all hating on Megan now. All right. Or indeed, if people still go to the supermarket. Mm. But honestly, if there were four magazines there, Princess Diana was on the front of all four of them. Yes, absolutely. Every week for 15 years, basically. Mm. I mean, she was so by far and away the most scrutinised, most famous person in the world. Yes. It's very hard to exaggerate about her. No, there's absolutely no way. It it, it was almost like background noise. No one ever went, oh, haven't we heard enough of her? It was always... It was just an accepted fact of your life, you know. Everybody knew what she was doing. And she was so such an ever-present um, icon, mm. is the only way to put it. Yes, that absolute icon. For her to suddenly disappear when she was so 
ubiquitous? Am I using that word? Yes, correctly? yeah, no, no. That then, and it's not like there was a sudden drop in interest in her when she died. If oh, anything, no. that kicked off mm. an insane frenzy around anyone who had even been close to her or could give any kind of insight into her. So I guess there's so much confusion around that night mm. that boils back to the initial press reports that were received mm. and what people understood have happened in the moment, which, again, when you have news reports, things come out that turn out to not be true and people make false reports, God knows why. And then we had the French investigation inquest mm -hmm. and then way too late there was a British investigation inquest. Mm. And the strangest thing about the British inquest is when any British, I was going to say subject, but any British national dies overseas in strange circumstances, there's immediately an inquest for anybody. So the length of time it took and the demanding it took to get an inquest happening in Britain for the most famous person in the world, that's oh, just strange. Yes. Because it took a very long time. It took until 1999 that the French investigation was concluded. And it basically let everyone off the hook in a way that was, it was a very much a case-closed kind of thing. Mm. The French investigator was Judge Hervé Stéphane, Oh, good pronunciation, And he concluded that Diana died as a result of the accident, obviously, and that the paparazzi were some distance from the Mercedes and were not responsible. Mm. Which is obviously very different from varying different versions of the story, I guess you would say. Mm. So the French investigation really, it did have a kind of Warren Report air to it, that okay. it was sort of like, Case closed, nothing to follow up, let's all get on with our lives. Okay. Doesn't mean that it was inaccurate, mm. but it definitely left no loose ends or anyone left to pursue or blame for anything. But I keep going back to there is an iconic photo of uh, Trevor Reese Jones and her bodyguard and mm. Henri Paul, the yes. driver, where someone's taking a photo in through the front windscreen and they're lit up by the flash of the camera. Mm. So that's someone incredibly close in front of the car. Was that while the car was driving? Or? Yes, ma'am. Oh, before they entered the tunnel or in the tunnel? That's a grey area. Uh-huh, okay. But they, they were buzzing the car. To Someone was, at least one of them, was mm. close enough to the car to get this disturbing photo. Mm. So I don't know that that necessarily makes sense. It took until 2004 for the Metropolitan Police, we're now talking about in England, to start Operation Paget which was headed by Commissioner John Stevens to investigate the whole situation, basically. And the British inquest jury wasn't until 2008. Oh, my goodness. So that was so much later on, mm. and they did return a verdict where they called it unlawful killing by driver Henri Paul and the paparazzi pursuing the car. Mm. So they blamed both the driver and the paparazzi, though, to my knowledge, none of the paparazzi were then ever further charged or brought to any form of justice. No, I know they were arrested, but they were released. So cause there is a photograph, somebody, one of the paparazzi who wasn't arrested, took them in the back of the van, which I thought was a bit, um, what's the word, you know, the, the, the schadenfreude, not quite schadenfreude, but that yes. thing about you've just got no mercy, you've got no empathy, you, you, yeah. you see your colleagues or your compatriots or your confreres in the back of a van and you go, well, this is a photo opportunity oh, I can't well, miss. I mean, the irony of the paparazzi, if you become the story, we'll t all turn our flashbulbs towards you. Yes. And the other telling thing from the British inquest was they said that one of the major contributors to the, the death in the tunnel 
was not wearing a seatbelt, mm. which, as we all know, isn't good. And it's a bit of a um, – I wasn't aware of this until somebody that brought it up with Diana. I said, why wasn't she wearing a seatbelt? And I spoke to a lot of English people, and they didn't – most of them didn't wear a seatbelt when they drove. And that's just astonishing to me because we've had so much public education – and grown up, and I, I'm old enough to remember that until you were seven years of age in Australia, you didn't legally have to wear a seatbelt. And I used to get angry with my mum because she always made me wear a seatbelt from when I was, you know, big enough to wear a seatbelt. That tired. I know. Isn't it terrible? You think back, oh, I gave my mother so much trouble. Sorry, mum. But, you know, it's always been a legal requirement for an adult to wear a seatbelt, and I don't understand why you wouldn't. Though I did have an argument with a person that I used to work with at the the big software company. He never wore a seatbelt and he got a fine for it. And I asked him why he didn't. He goes, because I wear linen shirts to work and I don't want them getting creased when I go to meet my clients. Oh, my God. I know. He was a douche. So not wearing a seatbelt and the fact that they struck the pillar because when you in a speeding car strike an immovable object, mm-hmm. it's that short, sharp shock. Yes. That's the problem. Um like a lot of Formula One drivers, they have a spectacular crash where they go sliding off into the grass and you think this was a terrible crash and they just get out. The thing that snaps your neck and kills you is that sudden, short, sharp shock. Yes, and, it, um, you know, the, the, the Grand Prix cars are designed to come apart at impact and so you sort of get that, they absorb the shock and it goes, they, these things sort of crumple and fall apart, but they car that they were driving in was, my understanding was it was bulletproof as well because it was Dodi Alfayed's it, I think father's. it was the hotel's limo. It was very sturdy. Yeah, so. it was one of the, I mean, if it were not armour-plated, it was still a huge Mercedes mm, limousine, mm, which it, is a five-ton car. Yes, and those things don't crumple. They don't absorb no. the shock. And I've seen the, I don't know whether it was Ayrton Senna or one of the Formula One drivers, but you often see that the fatal crash is one where something fails on the car and they just take a hard right into the wall, mm. and it seems like a minor crash, but because it is that short stop. Well, that's the um, the Australian driver, racing driver, what was his name, Peter? Brock? Yes, who just did the, the sharp left turn into a tree, and uh, the guy beside him said, oh, whoa, we almost didn't make it out of that, and turned to Peter and went, oh, crap. So I guess we'll... Um, We'll get to the conspiracy theories and the wilder theories, but I guess one of the main purveyors of that, and it's quite understandable how he would be so upset, was Dodie's father, Mr. Al-Fayed. Oh, gosh, yes. Who, it's heartbreaking, but he um, he was sort of one of the most vocal proponents of the idea that this wasn't just a simple accident. Mm. I think there's definitely an effect afoot where if someone's such a larger-than-life character, it's hard to accept that something was just a simple accident. Mm. In, in, in a weird emotional way, you want there to be a grand... Amelia Earhart, Elvis you, Presley. You want an enormous Machiavellian thing. John Lennon. It. You don't yeah. want to just accept that it was a, a boring pedestrian thing that happened to someone mm. that was so much larger than life. Well, that's the thing about when they, they contacted John F. Kennedy Jr. And he said, no, 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 she can't be dead. I just spoke to her on the phone last week. Mm. It's this idea that... No, these things don't happen to people who've got protection and, and, you know, cars and lavish lifestyles and that you've just spoken to them so that they're still, they're still here. And, and one thing to say was in terms of her security, and I'm not victim blaming her, this is purely a hindsight thing, 
But she was the one who actually refused to have ongoing royal security. I, I have heard, the firm look after her, which I understand she didn't want to be monitored by them. Yeah, my I I don't know. Like I've heard a couple of stories. Yes, that she did she refused, but two stories that I heard was that she was going to be monitored by people who reported to Charles, and the other one was that she was expected to pay for it. So I don't know whether either of those stories are true. Yeah, I don't know the circumstances, but mm. if they had been there that night, they would never have allowed sudden decisions to be made yes. for her to go along an unplanned route, to not have a car in front. None of those things would have been possible had mm. she had that level of protection. Mm. So it's an interesting facet that that didn't exist. I guess getting into the, the how, a lot of it rests on the driver, Henri mm. Paul. If this was a plot ordered by somebody to kill her, mm. he was obviously a spy operative or someone who basically was on a suicide mission to mm. take her with him. Or his drink was drugged. Possible. You wouldn't be able to trust the outcome, but you could. it would be worth mm. a try perhaps. One of the worrying things is if it was because of the Secret Service, in the months preceding the crash, he deposited nearly £43,000 in cash into his bank account in varying different small-ish lump sums. Now, a friend of his just laughed this off by saying, as head of security at the Ritz Hotel, he would be given huge cash tips mm. by wealthy clients that are there. And maybe I'm naive, but the head of security at the hotel, you don't give him £10,000, right? I wouldn't have thought so. Like, that sounds like a crazy amount of money to mm. give someone who you would, as a guest at the hotel, probably have very little um, interaction with. Mm. So that was a lot of money. Would he have willfully gone to his own death for a mission like that? No. That sounds crazy. Yeah. The only thing is, if this person did order it, it might have been done by this person's wife's secret service. Mm. And you literally are talking about James Bond now. So when you say they couldn't possibly have planned and controlled that situation and done all that, mm. I'm not saying they did it, but you can't dismiss out of hand that they're not capable of that. Mm. They're absolutely capable of that. Taking out a head of state or someone who has the best security in the world under great scrutiny is absolutely their job. Yes. So I, I don't know that they did it, but I the people who reject out of hand that that's even possible, mm. from a practical perspective, that's that's what those kind of people do. Mm. Poison your sushi, throw a bottle of um, you know toxic poison under your, um, your chair at a park in Salisbury. All these things are very easily done. Stab you with a nuclear umbrella or something like mm. that. Look, I just did that to you once and you, I thought you liked it. <laughs> How drunk was Henri Paul? Yes. The blood tests were sloppily labelled, strangely taken from the wrong place in the body. They didn't take any sample of his liver or other organs which would have demonstrated that he was a chronic alcoholic. Mm. So there is no proof of that. Well, it could have... For example, the condition of his liver might have conclusively proved that he was an incredibly heavy drinker. If he were that heavy a drinker, a lot was made on the basis of these blood samples that, again, these things can be made. And not to get paranoid and super um, conspiracy theory, but it's not impossible. Mm. Because when you watch him bound down the stairs and get into the car, this is not a drunk person. He was not... Drunk in the sense that we would know it, that you go, oh, sure. well, you eyeball, you see someone, like you see someone coming out of the casino and you're like, uh-oh. Yes. And you go, that guy better not be going to get into his car. Yes. 
And I can't remember who it was, but one of the actor's studios, maybe it was Dustin Hoffman or someone who said the key to acting drunk is when someone's drunk, they're using all of their energy to act like they're not drunk. Yes. And he didn't have that vibe to him at all in the security footage. And the security footage is taken at a weird frame rate and the movement seems a bit weird. He's walking around like a normal person. If, as they represent, that his alcohol level at the time that they left the Ritz was three times the French legal limit. So imagine you're at the legal limit. then you're. I don't have to imagine. Exactly. (laughs) You get twice as drunk and then you get that much drunk again. If you were three times drunker than a responsible Frenchman... So you mean a Friday night for us? Yes. Yep, okay. Would you... You couldn't play that off. No. I would not have thought. And that was borne out by a medical test that Mr. Al-Fayed had done by a British pathologist, which is a more medically conclusive test using the vitreous fluid from inside the eye. Oh, God, I knew you were going to say something that really made me cringe. No, no more eyeballs. Um, That's where they not only confirmed the level of alcohol, mm. but also showed that Paul had been taking antidepressants. Oh, so what did they confirm the level of alcohol at? Basically, it bore out that he was three oh. times the legal limit. Oh, okay. Good. Now, when you say, could you slip me a drink and I not know that I've drunk that, mm. the actual answer is yes. Mm. I could give you a glass of orange juice. Mm-hmm that had medical alcohol in it, which is actually, you'd go, I would know, it's tasteless and it's odourless. And if it's put in something that has a strong taste to it, you can actually slip someone, quite a powerful Mickey, and I don't know, you'd very soon know that it happened. Yes, and especially if you're combining it with certain antidepressants, which exacerbate the effect of alcohol. Some of them, not all of them. So is that inconsistent with his sober demeanour? Yes, it is. But the forensic pathologist said, particularly at the inquest, that if he was an alcoholic, he would have a much higher tolerance for alcohol. Mm -hmm. Because if you're slipped a Mickey, again, if you get in a car and you're driving a car with Princess Diana in it, and you start to feel queasy, drunk, or weird, the thing you don't do is floor it and take a swerve into a pole. Mm. You would pull over to the side of the road unless you were also being chased by paparazzi, and they were demanding you go faster. I mean, that's not impossible, Mm. but it doesn't make a powerful amount of sense to me. Because, again, I keep coming back to, even if you're drunk, you might zone out and go through a stop sign and hit someone or something like that. You don't floor it so that a powerful Mercedes is roaring, going 150 miles an hour, and then jerk hard into a pillar at the side of the road. No. That doesn't sound like how drunk driving works to me. Unless he was going so fast, that big powerful car started to fishtail Mm. and then the hitting the pillar was... But again, that involves you absolutely flooring it, Mm. which I don't think you do if you're drink driving. And I don't remember who said this either, but I always remember they were interviewing a cop somewhere and he said the number one way they catch drunk drivers on the road is because they're being too careful. Oh, yeah. Look, all you have to do is drive home on a Friday night along the Western Freeway and you see these guys who are travelling at 80 kilometres in the night. You real casual. Yeah, yeah, they're like casually driving very slowly across the centre line and you go, dude, dude. The people that were there had seen him consume two alcoholic drinks, mm. which if you're following the standards of royal security, is two drinks too many for you well, to exactly. drive a member of the royal family that's exactly. crazy. Exactly, that is crazy. And they said that he had 
drunk the equivalent of five measures of Ricard, which is a... What was Rick's last name? No, no, it's just Ricard. Oh, okay. Not, that's not anyone's... Um, anyway. <laughs> Moving right along. That was his favourite licorice flavour. Oh! Oh, the man deserves uh, to die. I'm sorry, but... <laughs> oh, my God, Catherine! <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I was going to say I'd rather be in a car crash, and I thought that was going too far. <laughs> Licorice liqueurs. Good I God. I know. It's a nightmare. Nightmare. Ugh. Now I'm going to be thinking of that time I tried to make crepe Suzettes with the um, Sembuka. That was a terrible night. Oh, little tiny camp oven stove in a horrible little apartment above a um, a uh, pharmacy across from the uh, Ken's Karate Club in Kensington. That was a shocker of a night. <laughs> You're trying to pretend you don't know what Ken's Karate Club was. <laughs> I'm, I'm confused and frightened. I would like to speak to a grown-up. If he were, again, the pathologist saying he managed to get in the car because he had a high tolerance, then you get down to, well, was he drunk or was he not drunk? And That's I, really, I hadn't thought about that. So if he was drunk enough to, if he was sober enough to get in the car yeah. and act like he wasn't drunk, how was he suddenly then incapacitated? He either had a high tolerance or he didn't. Or whatever was thrown into the last drink finally hit him. Could have done. But I again spoke to our medical correspondent, my lovely sister, oh, yes. who basically said when people have a tolerance like that, mm. your blood alcohol level is an indicator, but it's not actually a great metric of how drunk you are if you're a seasoned drinker. Mm. You're going to be a lot more capable than someone who's having the first drink they've ever had in their lives or, you know, is a small waifish person or there's a lot of different indicators. But again, when they come back to, well, he was that drunk but he had a tolerance to it, then you go, well, then he wasn't that drunk. You can't mm-hmm. have it both ways. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't really make sense. No, it doesn't. One thing that's offered up is was there a strobing, blinding, flashing light? It is the case that MI6 had various plans, apparently, from leaked papers, which we don't know the providence of, that they had a plan to murder the then president of Serbia, Slobodan Milosevic, by using a strobe light to blind his chauffeur. Oh. The problem with this is we have witnesses who say they saw the flashing light mm. and witnesses who were close enough that they must have seen the flashing light who never brought that up. Mm. What, the... Um... I mean, we're relying on the paparazzi. Wasn't there a couple? Yes, they were driving in the opposite direction and mm. saw the crash in their rearview mirror. Mm. The guy said he saw a flash. His wife said she saw no flash. Mm. But again, I still think if you're driving a car and you have capability, if you're blinded by a strobe, you then don't pull the wheel hard right into a pillar. Mm. You take your foot off the brake, off the accelerator, you put it on the brake, you don't swerve. Yes. Even, like if, even if I just spontaneously went blind in a car, I wouldn't, knowing I'm in a tunnel pull hard into so either either he deliberately did that as some sort of crazed mission which is very hard to believe or he was going so fast the car started to fishtail and hitting the pillar or, was part of that or we have the scenario of that um plane where the pilot was on antidepressants and locked the door and took the plane down with him remember that all the people they couldn't get in they've got the black box recording of the other pilot these the other um was the co-pilot was suffering from really severe depression and took the whole plane down with him. So unless you're and going to get into that being an MI6 conspiracy. No, no, I know what you're saying. I'm saying because I was nearly going to say to you, if you're going to kill yourself, do you take Princess Diana with you? But looking at what that pilot did, mm. when you try to rationalise 
someone's manner of suicide, mm. you go, well, the whole thing's crazy. So yes. what isn't possible at that point? Yeah. And that's not to say or to make light of uh, suicidal mental health issues. Joe and I have both uh, had our own battles with that, but it does offer up. No, we're not judgmental. But look, if you are in a vulnerable position, you're, and let's face it, if you're binge drinking, you're not correctly using your medication. No. You're abusing it. Yes. Not, not impossible. And I guess the elephant in the room, which we could say because it's a matter of court record, Mr. Al-Fayed said it, because he basically came out in court and said that he felt that Prince Philip ordered them killed because of the dislike of the general idea of Princess Diana marrying a Muslim mm. half-brother or sister to, mm, to William and Harry. Um, I don't know about that. Mm. I don't think the resistance would have been that hard. But also, I guess if I'm putting on my tinfoil hat, a lot of problems were made to go away that day. Mm. Because she, when you look back on the Panorama interview where she announced that Charles wasn't fit to be king, Mm -hmm. she was obviously very angry, and rightly so, one might argue, that she was forever going to be on the sideline, stealing focus, taking pot shots. And do you think if she was still alive that the rehabilitation of the Duchess of Cornwall would have ever happened? Mm -hmm. Definitely wouldn't have happened on that timeline. No. So a lot of things... We always come back to in conspiracies, the old qui bono, who benefits? Yeah. And a lot of people, as dreadful as it is to say, benefited from her not being there, basically outside the tent being in and Mm. making trouble for everybody, which she probably would not have stopped doing. But Mr. Fayed really had such an elaborate theory. He said that the Prince of Wales knew about it as well. But he bizarrely said that Diana's sister, Lady Sarah, was involved. That's just so wacky to me. I think that he wanted it. I think he wanted his son's death to mean something. Mm. And I think it's another case of you don't want it to be just a pedestrian, boring explanation for why this happened. I mean, if that were the case, and I don't mean that backhandedly, but if that were, you are never going to find any evidence of that. No, no, of course not. You are never going to find that out. Were they about to get married, and that's what brought everything to a head? We forget now because times timelines have been so accordion. She'd only known him for a matter of weeks. Mm. I don't think that she was ready for a proposal from him, since she'd vocally said she would never get married again. Did he go and visit a jeweller and get a ring? Yes. Yes, he did, and I've seen it. And did he plan to give her that ring? But was that a proposal of marriage? Well, his father said so, but I don't know. He seems to have had very um, big tickets on himself if she thought if he thought she'd accept a proposal after a few weeks. And she was coming off a relationship with um, her doctor, whose name I now forget. Hasnat Khan. Yes, not her. It wasn't her doctor. Sorry, doctor Hasnat. Um, he was a cardiologist. Yes, I believe. yes. She was. Um, she did have quite a lot of interest in. Um, Supporting cardiac charities because she also met Dr. Victor Chang, is that his name, from Sydney, and um, was very interested in his work. But the uh, doctor that she was involved with before she met um, Dodie quickly foresaw that there was going to be all sorts of issues and wasn't prepared to marry a woman who wasn't Muslim herself. So um, I believe Dr. Khan is Muslim because that was one of the things proffered to say it wasn't the royal family not being able to take that because during her relationship with Dr. Khan, 
the idea of marriage was floated then, and apparently the royal family were amenable to her doing that and were willing to put plans in place to let her do that. Mm. So for a similar situation to come up months later and them decide that that was now a breaking point where they need to kill her doesn't actually make a huge amount of sense. Mm. Mm. Now, I think she probably was a bit heartbroken and looking... As we all do for a transitional relationship, no um, disrespect intended to Dodie. I'm, I'm sure she very much enjoyed her time with him, but, you know. I mean, her friends and confidants at that point in the week before her death are all unanimous that she had no interest in getting married. Mm. Three days before she died, she had a conversation with her friend, Lady Annabelle Goldsmith, and according to Lady Annabelle, in that conversation, the princess said to her, I need marriage like I need a rash on my face. <laughs> And, I mean, that pretty much sums it up. I mean, she would Well, that's have... pretty much what you've said to me on yeah, most occasions. Well, exactly. <laughs> no, the, the ring, um, Dodie did get a ring and his father displayed it in um, Harrods. Now, I'm trying to remember, it was displayed in one of the windows at Harrods for quite a while and then it was moved downstairs. There was a special display area for it. And I'm trying to remember where I think I went down to the display area, but it, it you know, there was a, a, a whole window at one point devoted to it. It was something, you know, tragic and beautiful. Yeah, I, I don't believe, uh, if we're to believe the, the blood tests from Princess Diana's post-mortem examination, she was not pregnant yeah. and was, and friends said that she was on birth control. Yeah. So it's unlikely. And as I say, whether he bought a ring and intended to propose is one thing, but she, I don't, obviously would not have accepted. When, as I say, he, they'd known each other for weeks and when you look at their schedules, they'd spend approximately 23 days together before they died, mm. which I'd forgotten. It's funny how you were in time. You think of them of having been together for a really meaningful amount of time before they died, but they mm. actually had essentially just met. Well, that was when Nick asked me to move in with him. <laughs> Not quite the same romantic level, I guess. <laughs> well, you're a, you're a gorgeous princess. Oh, thank you. So there were a lot of specific blood tests that were taken to check for pregnancy, including testing the blood that was found in the car. Why was, was that important? Note. Because I think the English, there was such a question put over all the blood samples. Mm. And this is another thing, like the Kennedy assassination, where things were poorly labelled and lost and things mm. like that. In a case where this is the most famous person in the world, mm. you know this is a big deal. You would, If you were ever to do something by the book, knowing that it was going to be scrutinised forever, mm. it would be this. And it seemed in the French hospital there was a lot of oddness around blood tests and misnaming things and Have you been to a French hospital? Right. That's just <laughs> racist. How dare you? <laughs> Quelle surprise. No, quel dommage, monsieur. Um, but I will say, as somebody who's worked in occupational health and safety, that oftentimes it's the big events that come out of nowhere when you just go, oh, we really weren't fucking organised at all. We were kidding ourselves that we were and everything oh, right. falls everything over. Everything they do is this slack and they didn't have a good process. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's weird when you add panic into something, there are people who respond very well in a panic situation. Like they'll – Yes. They can disconnect. And then there are other people who start doing stupid things. Like I remember a case where we had to evacuate a building and – I'm screaming at this woman to get – she'd gone back in. We thought it was a there was a bomb in the building and she'd gone back in to get a handbag as everybody was running out of the place. And I'm trying to grab her and she's going, I'm not leaving without my handbag. And I'm going, everything's locked down. You're not going to be able to get in. No one can get in to get your handbag. But there was no arguing with her because she'd just gone into a, a complete panic. So 
you try these situations under normal circumstances where everybody's okay and um, communicating effectively, but when you suddenly go into a panic, you actually get a tunnel vision. Shock is a strange thing. Yes, shock, yes, and and you don't hear things and then you're saying, I mean, look, you know, just to step out slightly from the conversation, but when I got the phone call that Diana was near death, I was just about to step out onto the um, veranda to put some washing out and I turned the TV on and they didn't know anything at that point and then I stepped outside and there was just utter silence. It was the weekend at home and I couldn't hear anything and it was because everybody was inside. I lived in quite a busy area. There were no cars on the road. There was just absolute silence and it was this, yeah, this weird tunnel vision thing that happens when you're in shock that you don't hear anything and, um, yeah, you don't always follow instructions. That's not an apology for fucking up the labelling, but it does go, in my mind, some way to go. You find out these your um, failings after the fact in a lot of these things. And what is it you always say? Don't put down to conspiracy what could be attributed to sheer idiocy. Yeah, it's, it is so true. <laughs> the one thing that stops us from ever piecing it together and is very strange is the lack of CCTV mm. footage, basically from the hotel to the tunnel. Now, there are more than 14 cameras along the way, all of which didn't work or record any footage that night, which is impossible. That is impossible. That's absolutely impossible. And in terms of the actual camera at the tunnel, they don't record it, according to the... Oh boy. La Compagnie de Circulation Urbaine de Paris. Oh, très bien, monsieur. The Paris Urban Traffic Unit. They closed down at 11 p.m. and it isn't recorded. So that camera is a monitor in an office, but there was no one there to watch it and it wasn't recorded, which sounds kooky to me. Mm. They don't do 24-hour traffic surveillance in inner Paris. That doesn't make any sense. No. Were there ever any excuses offered up for the 14 cameras that weren't mysteriously weren't working? It was some cock and bull about a system failure, but that's really... Well, it could be like our NBN. (laughs) Oh, that's the other thing. You go, look, things do, whole systems fall over, Mm. and there there is a false power to coincidence where, oh, that very night it didn't work, and you go, it probably breaks down three times a week. That isn't, it's not working on that night isn't as amazing as it sounds on the face when you say Mm, that to me. mm. It just turned out to be a special night. It's a thing that is quite often not working. Who knows? But again, that's the thing with conspiracy. You badly want it to be a thing. Mm. I don't want there to be a secret cult that runs the world, even though I think there is. (laughs) But on a a sick level, I do, because it's Mm. interesting. Mm. It's Fun's not the right word, but... You know, you Engaging. want there to be more to, to things and yes. be like, oh, my God, and do a bit of pearl clutching over the whole situation. Yes. So there is just so much to unpack with this. This is the end of part one for the death of Princess Diana. So we can all go away and calm ourselves down because, boy, howdy, is there still a lot left to unpack with the old? Because we haven't even got to the wacky conspiracy theories, which you're, oh, God. <laughs> all right. So I'll have to wear my Princess Diana outfit next week. Absolutely. All right, so do we have the weekly news wrap-up, Joe? Do we ever. The Express. (laughs) I hate those guys. (laughs) Queen heartbreak. (sighs) Palace sorry for coronavirus error affecting thousands of elderly fans. What? This isn't good. Oh, okay. Buckingham Palace have apologised after admitting thousands of elderly couples expecting their letters of congratulations 
for major wedding anniversaries face severe delays during the coronavirus pandemic. If that's the worst thing that happens to you... I, I know, but these people who... They're only going to have their 50th anniversary once and people who are turning 100 and want their today's equivalent of the telegram from the Queen. Mm. It's not a huge deal, but also I go, whoever's job that is, can't they do it from home? Is that really the pandemic that's made it everything could, fall apart? It I could mean, be the mail system. I know that uh, I've been trying to send um, postcards to various people. Shout out to Dania. Um, and some of those postcards have taken four weeks to get from Brisbane to Melbourne. Brisbane to Melbourne? Brisbane to Melbourne. I kid you not. It's, it's, it's diabolical. I mean, even, even if it's going by truck, they don't still have a camel train, do they? I mean, that's ridiculous. I think they're trying to set a new land speed record of walking them to Melbourne. Meghan Markle and Prince Harry mocked over Netflix deal, also from The Express. Oh. They left for a quiet life, question mark? Now, can I just address this issue? Mm-hmm. Meghan and Harry never came out and said they wanted a quiet life. They just asked for privacy for their son's birth and their son's christening. They have not personally asked not to be out in the public or whatever, and it's a narrative that's been picked up by Piss Morgan and his crowd running around going, they asked for privacy and yet they're still out in public. No, they've just asked for privacy for their son Archie, who is a private citizen without a title, to be left alone in peace and for his godparents not to be harassed. So you've got to stop. The People who are listening to these headlines have got to stop believing that they asked for privacy. They just asked for their son to have a privacy and for the family members who are not part of the royal family to also have privacy. So I'm sorry, but that's just been my bugbear. That's been going on. I've been fighting battles on Twitter all week about that. Well, get used to it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I doubt the Express is going to come up with a different narrative by next Oh, week. I'm sure they're not going to. Daily Mail. Meghan Markle's mother, Doria Raglan, starts a new job as teacher, showing students how to make hippie jewellery. Oh, God, they're assholes. Why hippie jewellery? Well, why would they use that phrase, hippie jewellry? They just have to put something snide into everything. Well, yeah, why didn't they just say they're straight out of Compton jewellery like they did when they called her house straight out of Compton? Yes, Doria, 63, who quit her post as a social worker at a mental health clinic after her daughter married is now teaching at a community college in Los Angeles. Her mother's biography on the college website states Doria Raglan is a local artist who has been designing jewellery and clothes for over 10 years. So good for her, but they, they take things that are completely innocent and somehow say them like they're an accusation. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. They've taken away from the fact that she's also a qualified social worker and a yoga teacher. Qualified yoga teacher, so... Oh, yes. Yes. She has an MD, I believe. Not in yoga. <laughs> in the social work. <laughs> The Express, again. They're very desperate. With everybody on holidays, everyone's desperate for stories, and this is just a completely made-up story. I mean, it's not made up, but it's not news. But I hadn't thought about this angle, so it is interesting. Princess Eugenie and Beatrice, princess's royal status to change on key date. Yes, I didn't bother clicking on that. What was the story? Basically, the story is they point out the obvious, that... Once the Queen's gone, God forbid, Prince Charles becomes king and then William becomes king, they will technically move up in the order of succession before they go back down again. Yes. And that was the entire basis of the story. It was a total non-event. But, you know, they're desperate for something to say at this stage. You haven't got to the Peter outrage yet? What Peter outrage? One of the um, newspapers covered that um, 
Peter, as in the animal, the ethical treatment of animals organization. Oh, Peter! I thought you were talking about Peter Phillips. No, 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 no. Why, no. What's, oh, what apparently they yes, got? apparently they were not happy that uh, William took George Grouse shooting, and they said that he's oh, called right. deep, deep psychological damage that will be with him for the rest of his life. I'm not a child psychologist. I can't comment on that. I'm not a fan in any way of hunting, but. I think they do eat the grouse, no? Yes. There is also the view, though, that, you know, chasing terrified animals and getting their heart rates up and terrifying in the last minutes of their death is not great either, but um, one could probably make the same remark about abattoirs. So, I mean, yeah, everybody who thinks that their cheeseburger comes from Bovine University needs yes. to realise. <laughs> it's not the but case. The problem with Peter is they go, well, unless you're a vegan who lives under a bridge, and these maniacs from Peter go, I actually am. And I don't eat, any, eat anything that casts a shadow. Yeah, I don't want – I mean, of course cruelty to animals is terrible. Mm. But a lot of – there is a, a, definitely a logical argument to hunting, I say, if you eat the animal now. I'm talking about if you fell a deer properly and actually eat the meat, that's way better experience than any cow that you eat every day goes through. And most of the animals they kill weren't going on to have wonderful lives. They probably would have died that winter anyway. So there is a very naive viewpoint that people are pretty hypocritical you're doing, when it comes to killing and eating animals. You're doing them an ethical service, is that what you're saying? Well, it, it, But I stress, if you eat it, I think fox hunting is disgusting. Yes. And no one should do that. The only fox hunting I like is where they get a guy to dress up in a fox costume and chase him <laughs> through the countryside. No, no, no. That was Mardi Gras. Oh, right. I keep telling that you, stop mixing up Mardi Gras event. and fox hunting. That guy was dressed as a beaver. So you know that. <laughs> totally different. I think that was the drag act for the night. Fanny Beaver. This is too tacky. Say goodbye, Katie. <laughs> goodbye, Katie. Goodbye, <laughs> Katie.